You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. We're back for another episode of State of Our Football Nation. Josh Parrish is alongside me. Uh, we're doing it again in this lockdown fashion that has become just so exciting <laughs> for us radio people. And uh, it gives us a little radio with pictures, which is seriously exciting. Not mm. quite TV, but we're almost there. We've got a very special guest. In fact, we have three special guests coming up. But our superstar, the, the one who will open the, uh, the program today is the former Matildas, former Central Coast Mariners coach in the A-League, the one and only Alan Stajic. A brand new chapter about to be written in your football journey, Alan. Welcome to FNR and to State of Our Football Nation. Thank you. I've got a great head for radio, so I'm not very happy with this uh, this uh, TV footage thing. No, nah, but like, pleasure to be Josh can always teach you how to wear those caps. It, it, <laughs> it's a bit, you know, swing it around, wear it backwards. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, you know what it's I'm all about. Sure. Hey, I've been out quite... working the back. I've been out working the backyard for the first time in my life. So um, yeah, I need the protection. Now, now tell us, uh, this is a big deal. Are you taking the whole family overseas, or is it just you in the professional guys going to, to fulfil your commitment, and the family will stay here? How does it work? Yeah, look, I've um, over the last or whatever fifteen years, but particularly the last five or six years, I've spent a lot of time away from my family and. The first year at the Central Coast, um, you know, I moved exclusively up there and, and you know, they could only come and visit on, on weekends. So, you know, our families obviously sacrificed a lot. And, you know, in, in that respect, COVID's been, you know, a blessing in disguise for me and the kids. You know, it's been great to spend that much time together. A little bit too much, 17 weeks straight, but... No, I've, really, I've actually really enjoyed it and, you know, the kids have been great. But, but for this part of the trip, we're actually basing ourselves in, in Los Angeles, the team. Um, so Noel and I are, are leaving next Sunday on the 7th of November and we start camp the next day and we're there for two and a bit months till January 14 or 15 and we depart straight to India for the Asian Cup. Um, we're hoping to get our families over. You know, they've missed enough school, so we're hoping we can get our families over early December and you know, share Christmas together and share four or five weeks together. But no, we're going over. It's a it's a tough assignment. We're really looking forward to it. And, you know, it's all, all professional from our point of view. We want to throw everything at it and give this team the best chance we can of, of qualifying for its first ever World Cup. Now, speaking of teams, uh, you haven't told Josh Parrish who you're going to coach. Come on, break it up. Tell us as it is. Will you be the Philippines national coach for the women's team? Yeah, of course. That's common knowledge, isn't it? It's Josh well, a bit behind the eight ball, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's been a busy. It's been a busy week. The past <laughs> week of football has had so many headlines, Alan. We didn't know yeah. where to start or where to finish. So yeah. for those slowcomers, um, you're picking up the reins. Where in heaven's name did this opportunity come from? Well, look, I got a call from um, a close friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Fraser, and he's got some contacts with. He's done a bit of work over there as well, and. Um, you know, one not of that the strange goalkeeper. Not he that is all, goalkeeper. all goalkeepers are strange, so he's, <laughs> you know he's well in that category. No, and uh, he he put me in touch with someone. They're looking for a coach for for the Asian Cup. So, you know, I got in touch with 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 all the all the dignitaries from the Philippines Football Association, and they really impressed me with their ambition and aspiration. And and that's you know that's all I'm looking for. I want I want a country who wants to get behind their team and want to achieve a bit of history. No doubt. Very difficult, very difficult. Um, you know, the team hasn't had a lot of experience at major tournaments. They've they've only been to one 
Asian Cup in in the last short period of time. You know, I know they went to a lot in their early history, but you know, it's a relatively new team and inexperienced team. Um, you know, haven't played. You know, I was watching the Matildas and you're talking about a hundred caps together. Uh, this team's maybe played five, ten, maximum twenty caps for for a lot of the players. So you know, it's a big challenge, but you know, they've got so much passion and pride. And they really are on the cusp of being able to make history. So hopefully we can go over there and help them achieve that goal. Alan Studgich is our guest on FNR, State of Our Football Nation is the program. And Alan, uh, Josh and I have spoken about this in the past. Asia has really taken to the game. It always loved the game, but not quite with the, with the money and the, uh, and the programs. And over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen the Thailands, we've seen the Malaysias, we've seen the Singapore and a host of other teams uh, in Asia and, of course, on the continent really step up. And we've seen the Indian Premier League throw up player after player after player. What are you expecting from the Philippines? Yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, you could put them in that category as well. I just noticed the other day that Vietnam are thinking about sending one of their national youth teams to be, live in Germany permanently. So that's the kind of investment and, and initiatives that, that Southeast Asian nations are taking at the moment. And you know, that's why they've become so competitive. Uh, you know, we saw the Oli Roos play Indonesia the other night and, and the Oli Roos won 3-2. And, and I thought we were significantly the better team and, and played good football. But Indonesia showed, you know, how far they've come. They scored a couple of cracking goals and their technique was was superb. And I think that, that there's some characteristics that go throughout Southeast Asia. They're, they're technically good. Um, you know, they've learned how to work hard. Um, you know, if you can just add a couple of other little facets to their game, there's no reason why they can't compete with with the big guns around the world. And but that's that takes time. You know, there's no magic wand. You can't wave it over people's head and expect all that to happen in six months or one year. You know, these are long-term processes that, that need to be put in place. And, and it's great to see that, you know, most of the Southeast Asians are now taking the game on board like that. How long is the contract? Um, look, at the moment, it's it's um, it's a short-term contract. But, you know, we'll reevaluate that at each juncture. But, you know, I've just, as I said, I've been impressed with, with their commitment to the game and their commitment to their to their women's national team, and that's really the part that dragged me in. Josh? Yeah, I wanted to ask about the makeup of the squad at the moment and where most of the players are playing their club football. I mean, you mentioned basing the team uh, in the U.S. Is there a U.S. connection there in terms of players representing American clubs? Yeah, there's a lot of expats who who uh, live in America um, who form some of the, the parts of the team over the last three, four years. Um, you know, at the moment, there's there's four or five of the girls playing in Europe um, with professional clubs. There, there's two two players in Japan as well in their new Wii League, playing in the top league in Japan. And then, you know, there's obviously a lot of girls who, who have been in the Philippines as well and, and all played in, in a similar college, university slash team over there and being the core of the team. But but there's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of expats throughout the United States uh, with Filipino heritage who, who, mm. who make up the squad as well. So, you know, we're killing two birds. The COVID situation in Philippines makes it a little bit difficult mm. to have a camp there as well. So, you know, it's, it's almost from that perspective a little bit easier to have the camp in Los Angeles like we are. And is scouting out that kind of diaspora and finding players with connections to the Philippines who might be eligible going to be a key part of your job or are you going to kind of stick with the players who are there with the qualifiers? No, 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 definitely. The, the, the net will be spread as wide as it can, as far as it can. We've, you know, we've seen in so many countries, even our own Socceroos at the moment, we've got Boyle and Suter and, 
and mm-hmm. um, a couple of others who haven't set foot in Australia yet, yet they're playing for the Socceroos and, and doing a fantastic job. So, you know, definitely we'll be doing that and throwing that net as wide as we can. Um, you know, we've already got 30 or 40 players who are, who are possibly going to come on trial uh, the week after and, and we'll have a good look at them when we, when we land. You watched the Matildas on Tuesday night against Brazil. What did you make of them? Yeah, look, I thought both games were, were really exciting. It was just... It was just fun, I guess, to see a crowd at the football again and particularly the Brazilian section of the crowd. They had so much noise and flavour and you could almost hear that coming out of the TV, the energy coming from the stadium. So, you know, from that perspective, it was it was just a massive boost for, for football fans. But, you know, I thought the games were, were so exciting, you know, end-to-end stuff. And, and in the first game, Brazil probably put a lot of their fringe players on and, and players who, who they're trying to build their depth with. Um, you know, they've got... A, Three or four key older players in the team in, in Marta, Cristiani and Formiga who are who are coming towards the end of their careers. So important for them to also look forward. And, and the majority of those players played in that first game. Uh, but we saw in the second game when they put their better team out, what what an amazing challenge it was. Mm. And you know, I thought I thought the Matildas were probably on top for the first 15, 10, 15 minutes, but after that I thought Brazil were probably unlucky not to go to the lead at half time. But you know, funnily enough, I thought that Australia were the better team in the second half and copped a couple of goals that, you know, they probably shouldn't have at, at that crucial time in the game. And, and then a little bit of momentum swung back the other way. But, you know, I thought, I thought they were two fantastic spectacles and, and both teams with, with good positivity and good energy. And, you know, someone like Ellie Carpenter running up and down, oh. flying up and down that line, I thought was, was amazing. And, you know, I think the second goal that Australia scored the other night is probably one of the best goals I've ever scored, the build-up, mm. The precision Tell of me, the passing, the finishing, I thought, I thought was truly it, world-class. It must give you enormous uh, satisfaction or sucker to see someone like Mary Fowler. Where does she find that eye to ping a pass and land it on a sixpence? It seems to me she does that three, four times in a game. And if we can get, whether it's Caitlin or whether it's uh, Sammy at the other end, it breaks defence. It just cuts defences in half. Yeah, Mary's Mary's very sharp. Uh, she's oh. got she's got two or three weapons under her belt that you know I haven't seen in a player before, and you know, I've said that right from the first time I've seen her. Left and right foot shooting is is probably the best I've seen over the last twenty years in women's football. Her her ability to beat people in in one meter tight areas is also amazing. Her balance is amazing. Um, she's just a young player. She's got a lot to learn um about the game about tactics about you know street smarts and all that kind of stuff but you know that time when she sold that little half dummy and rolled onto a left foot and switched that ball for caitlin oh. ford you know oh. there's not many there's not many girls in the world that can do that and you know it just showed that mm. she can really be a world-class footballer in the future uh, do you think it could have been a different game if uh, caitlin had scored in that first three or four minutes not really because we scored off right in court. front she right she had it right in front no, that and was a good build-up as well, but we scored off that build corner. Up. Wonderful yeah. build-up. Yeah. Brilliant build-up. We scored off that corner anyway, and maybe yeah, a little bit unnoticed Maybe a little bit unnoticed was sort of the pivot volley that Kyra Cooney-Cross had on the edge of the box, which again yeah. was excellent technique, and maybe she didn't get enough credit for. But again, there's not many players around the world who can use such technique, you know, on the edge of the volley. And, you know, even though it didn't, didn't go in, it actually caused problems for the Brazil defence, and, and we scored from the resulting play, but... You know, I thought Brazil were good as well. You know, when oh, they were wonderful. going forward, they looked extremely dangerous. And, you know, maybe Marta's lost the yard for me on, on what she was before. But her smarts and her skill and her ability mm. to bring other people into the game was amazing. 
I want to ask three about youngsters. And there are two or three youngsters coming along too. Yeah, they, they were they were better than I thought they were going to be because you know they've had a pretty rock solid team for the last six or seven years, consistent players. So to see some of these new girls coming in, I've seen a little bit of that Angelina who plays for Seattle over the last couple of months, and she looks quite good as well. Um, you know, Brazil was still missing one or two players. Their best centre-back, Rafaeli, wasn't there, and, and Beatrice up front wasn't there. So there were still, you know, two or three players that they were missing as well that they can add back into the squad for them moving forward. Wow. I wanted to ask about this this rivalry we seem to have developed with Brazil in women's football. It was a very physical game. I mean, I guess that goes back a, a few tournaments now. I, dare I mention the, the heartbreak and injustice of the, the Rio Olympics, Alan? Yeah, look, just by a fluke, really. We've, we've come up against them at every major tournament, basically, for the last 15 years, going back to 2007, 2011. We played them at consecutive World Cups 2015, 2019, four World Cups in a row, the Olympics at their home ground. Um, you know, and then we've obviously had all those home matches here against them as well. But, you know, two, two great teams slugging it out. You know, it was nice to get that 6-1 win against them at the Tournament of Nations um, a couple of years ago. But, but for me, it's just important for us as a country to know that we can't, we don't only have to compete with Brazil, we can outplay and beat Brazil. And, you know, we all know the notion of Brazilian football and to think that Australian football at any level can outplay a Brazilian team, can outmuscle a Brazilian team, can have technique that matches or beats a Brazilian team is, is very important for our mentality mm. as a country. And I think the Matildas over the last three, four years in particular have proved that a small footballing nation like us can really outpower a a superpower in world football. I think it was really exciting, and, and Josh and I have dis- discussed this too. There's a crop, there's another crop of youngsters in the Matildas who are coming along, and they've just had, just starting to get their feet wet. And two years away might be just about right to get them primed and really be pushing on the door to be in that side when we play the opening game against uh, whoever we play for the uh, 2023 World Cup. Yeah, look, I think Kyra, Kyra Cooney-Cross and Mary Fowler are leading that charge. Uh, Tegan Micah in goals uh, performed admirably during the Olympics. So, you know, they're three that are leading the way. There's obviously a host of others. You know, Claire Wheeler came on the other night and, you know, a couple of other young youngsters came on as well, Henry and, and uh, Charlotte Grant and a couple of others. But, you know, it's, it's not an easy process maintaining that team chemistry and being able to filter these young players in at the same time. So, you now that's a challenge for every national team. We're not a club team, so you only get together so often and, and limited exposures at camps and matches means it's always a difficult balance. But, you know, we do need to look at the long term, but, you know, the short term, we've got a good two, three-year window now to the next World Cup and the next Olympics that, you know, the FA and Tony have to have a look at the team to ensure that we have the best 23 players and good depth going into that tournament. And the other thing, I suppose, is we, you know very well, not all the players in the squad mature or advance at the same time. They, there are peaks and flows. They come. Some have a, a late arrival in, in, and you see some great growth in their, in their maturity and their play. And others, you know, start early and have that wonderful touch and maybe then reach a certain limit. And it's incumbent on whoever is coaching them, I suppose, to keep pushing them and gr- making them grow. Yeah, there's no formula. There's no formula. You know, Ellie, Ellie came into the team at 15 and she's now 21 and she's already had 50 caps for our country. Um, Mary Fowler, the same, but then others have debuted at 19, 20, 21, 22, 24. So, you know, it really doesn't matter. You know, if you're in good form and you show that you can play at that level, whether it's W League or overseas, uh, you'll get your call up. 
Have you got any big goalkeepers in the Philippines? <laughs> the team of 17 or 18, you won't be later on. But ultimately, each national team is going to be Matildas and Socceroos. I was just going to say, have you got any tall goalkeepers in the Philippines? In that squad? Um, you cut out a little bit there, but I think you asked about uh, goalkeepers. Um, tall, tall ones or short ones? Uh, look, w- there's, a, there's a little bit of depth in the goalkeeping ranks, which is good. Which is good. Um, and, you know, we'll go into camp and assess where they're all at. And, you know, like every process, you know, we'll, we'll whittle it down to the final. Are you, three are you taking any more of your old squad with you? Any, bo- any of the boys or girls that you know very well? Uh, yeah, Noel Arate is coming with me. Um, we're, we're trying to get one or two others as well. Uh, obviously, um, the expertise that we can bring, and and you know we've been we've been together mm-hmm. for a long time. So just being able to have that almost team chemistry right straight from the outset is important as well. So you know, yeah, Noel is coming with me next week, and yeah, there, there should be one or two others as well. Yeah, and you got your green, you got you got your green vaccination ticket as well, have you? Yeah, um, yeah. Look, you all have to be vaxxed and and certain vaccinations. And you know, I just spoke to a travel agent today. You need a PCR test and all that kind of stuff and and visas. But uh, look, I'm just excited to travel and get over there. And I'm sure everything will be fine once uh, we get look, there. Look, we're very excited for you, Josh. Was saying, Josh. Yeah. Before we let you go, Alan, I just wanted to ask you about your decision to return to the world of women's football. And, you know, whether you just assess all the job opportunities on their merits, given you've had success in both men's and the women's game as well, or whether returning to the women's game was a, was a priority of yours? No, not really. I, I've, never, <laughs> I've never put it into those categories, to be mm. honest. Um, you know, I just like coaching football. I've coached, you know, at a sports high school where there was 12 to 18-year-olds for 10 or 12 years. I coached at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Uh, where, where basically we identified and tried to develop this crop of Matildas and they were age 15 to, to 20, 22. Uh, you know, now I've coached A-League, I've coached W-League. Um, you know, for me, it's just football. You know, I don't really care whether it's a women's team or, or a men's team or, or even kids, so long as I see ambition and aspiration and, mm. and players who want to get better and, and players who show unity and a collective and, and really want to achieve things, and then I get excited as well. So, you know, that's really what attracted me to this, op- uh, to this opportunity. And as I said, I can't wait to get over there and start working with the staff and the players. And is I the aspiration don't. to get to the Women's World Cup in 2023? Oh, definitely, definitely. That's that's the marker. Um, you know, for the first time in the country's history, that'd be an amazing bit of history. And we've seen what high-profile Matildas can do for the sport back here. You know, the amount of growth you can see in young kids who want to watch mm-hmm. the game and be connected to the game. And hopefully we can do the same thing in the Philippines. And they've got a vast, uh, vast uh, country and uh, millions of millions of people and potential players. You, you have an ocean to pick from if, if you can get the, the right filters running uh, can i just take this opportunity to wish you brenda and the kids all the very very best travel safely and uh, please keep us uh, uh, you know uh, you know uh, uh, aware with what's going on and if we can reach out to you in in la it'd be terrific that'll be that'll be awesome george and again thank you for your support and that'll be great to stay in touch when we're over there for sure all the very very best thank you thanks josh thanks alan alan Sajic joining us He's off on a brand new adventure, taking the family with him, first to the West Coast of the United States, and then, of course, to the Philippines to make sure that the national women's team starts to make a name for itself in the uh, toughest uh, football market there is at the moment, because women's football 
is jumping ahead at a tremendous rate. And we're seeing teams and players we never imagined really making an impact. Thank you, Alan Sajic. Look forward to Thanks, our George. next guest. We'll take a break, Josh. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Another guest on FNR State of Our Football Nation, Josh Parrish, George Danikian, and joining us via Zoom from Sydney, Danny Agarjos, who is the, I suppose, membership and ticketing manager at the Western Sydney Wanderers. Welcome, mate. G'day, guys. Happy to be here. Now, tell me something. Uh, the season hasn't started and you guys are kicking goals. How is this possible? Oh, mate, look, we're, we're doing our best from the front office, uh, making the most of uh, the time off. Now, explain to me uh, what in heaven's name is exciting everybody in the game, especially with what you've released in the last few days. You're calling it the Wander Pass. Yes, now, I've that's seen, correct. I've seen, I've seen Wander on Disney, but <laughs> you've got to tell me a bit more about the Wander Pass. How in heaven's name did the idea come along? And, and what does it provide for the fans of the club and those who want to go and watch a game? Yeah, so uh, the Wonder Pass is basically a, a, a subscription model type, type of membership. Um, uh, basically, summer of 2020, uh, we discussed as an office just different ways that we can tap into and engage with different markets out there in the, in the sector of Australian football. And um, something such as a subscription model is very familiar with um, the wider base. You know, you only have to look at the past few decades with something like Reader's Digest. And then more recently with things like Netflix, Spotify, um, and Disney Plus. Um, so we said, why not give it a crack ourselves? Try something in Australian sport. Um, basically, a no locking contract. Um, attend the games you wish to attend, $15 per month. Um, give it a go. So, so how does it work? I, I'm a, say I'm a fan of the club. Uh, I'm, on the, I'm on your list of membership. Um, and what do, what do, do I have to reach out to you or you reach out to me? How does it work? Mate, it's as simple as just hopping online, uh, heading to our website and um, following the prompts from there. It's uh, the WonderPass link available there. Uh, sign up, name, details, address, the usual stuff, um, and then just pay $15 a month thereafter. And what does that allow me to do? allows you with match day access. So you're able to access all of our A-League men matches and also the A-League women matches throughout the season. Uh, purely digital. Um, everything's what online. Youth? What about the youth? What about youth? Yeah, yeah, you're able to access. Sorry, sorry, you're able okay. to access the wide league as well. Um, purely digital, um, everything online. So it's uh, just as easy as having on your iPhone or Android. Um, rock up to the gates and uh, enjoy the match. Wow. What do you think about that, Josh? I think it's fantastic. And uh, something can you see that other, can you see other other clubs joining in? I, I think clubs will immediately be looking to follow suit now that you've uh, set the example. I mean. I think especially they don't want the with the to get an edge on them. Yeah, well, especially in these times when I think people are a little bit more cautious about signing up to things and making plans for the long term because they don't know when the next lockdown's coming. Hopefully, oh, it no. never never happens. But is is this played a part in the decision? You know, people maybe not wanting to think uh, ahead and and prepay for an entire membership for the whole year because you know there've been so many interruptions over the past couple of seasons. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um... Uh, it, it, the flexibility of it allows us to, to specifically target for a time such as COVID, especially after the last few months we've had here in Sydney. So um, it, it, it's definitely a flexible option and uh, hopefully the customers are drawn to it. That's Absolutely. exciting stuff. So if you want to you want to grab some mates and, and get along, it, it's just that much easier to do, to do it and make it happen. 
you've got that's the flexibility right. in seating them. Is that right? That's right. So at the moment, um, we're looking to seat everyone uh, in the RBB. So um, really a great way to get everyone engaged and with uh, some of our most passionate supporters in the league and our club, definitely. So um, looking forward to, to what it brings. When your fan base is in its uh, element, that is one wall of noise. It's pretty hard to, pretty hard to drown out. Oh, tell me about it. I, I find uh, I have an echo in my ear after the game sometimes. <laughs> Where in heaven's name are you sitting? <laughs> right, yeah. right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Danny, I wanted yeah. to ask about the uh, the group passes as well. So I, I remember when I was trying to uh, rustle up a bunch of mates to go attend a game here in Melbourne in high school or uni. It was just an absolute logistical nightmare, nightmare trying to pin the numbers down and get somebody to prepay for all of them and then everybody has to transfer you and it's just a huge headache and we end up abandoning several planned uh, match days. So this, this group pass allows you to just buy a chunk of tickets and use them whenever you want. That's right. So we've got a, that's also newly introduced. The group pass allows you to buy uh, either 10 or 20 uh, passes and basically you can use that all in one match day. You can use it across five, six match days or, or one match a season, realistically. Bring your mates, bring your family. Um, we did a lot of market research and we found that everyone likes to attend our games in particular with both of those uh, groups. So, again, if the people want it, let's bring it. We're, we're almost three or four weeks away now from the new A-League season. Um, how's the team behind the players? And that includes you guys at front office. Uh, how are you coping? How, how is, what's the buzz you, you guys get a pretty fair idea of just how much excitement and how people are getting excited. I made a lot of positivity around the place. Um, look, a, a lot of the, the signings that we have at the moment are, are, are born and raised in Western Sydney as well. Um, and, and majority of our staff base is Western Sydney uh, born and raised. So, mate, we're working 24-7 at the moment. First game for us home is the derby. Um, so it's full, full guns blazing right now. Uh, that's the sort of language that Josh Parrish gets highly pumped up for. When you say things like that going on, Josh just grows another leg. He's, he, he loves it. He, he gets to call the game, you see. When, he's, when we get him out there in the NPL, he, he <laughs> likes to get amongst the audience and feel the buzz. It's, the, it's that, that thing called electricity. Mm-hmm. And Mate, that's what a, he lights up. There's a smile as big as Doris Day on him. I could see it now. <laughs> I mean, just how good are the acoustics in this new stadium? Because I haven't, I haven't had the pleasure just yet. Um, but I, you know, I do remember in the in the heyday at Parramatta having an entire active end going. Uh, what's the nice. difference now in the in the new stadium than the actual noise level? Ah, oh, mate, let me tell you, everyone in Australia should try and witness it at some stage in their in their life. Um, it's only been around for I think uh, two years now, Combank mm-hmm. Stadium, and. Um, it's made for the fans, for the people. So, mate, one pin drops, you hear it throughout the whole stadium. It's got the great acoustics. Um, even I sound good in it. <laughs> Daniel Gakos, uh, you have been a, a, a breath of fresh air, my friend. Uh, we want to have you on through the year to keep us abreast of what's happening at the Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, tell me, how is the, uh, the, how's the W League side progressing and what's the buzz out of the women's team? Yeah, look, they're all training now. I, I see them every morning coming in and, and doing their part. So I'm um, very exciting uh, there. We've, we've got some great um, W League fans and members on board as well. Um, mm-hmm. And the new name uh, has really brought that inclusivity to it as well. So I'm um, looking forward to a big season. And the Wonder Pass covers every, every game. Is that right? W League, A League and Y League. 
That's correct. Awesome stuff. Danny, bravo. Well done. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing if we can pick you out in the crowd. By the way, what have you made of some of the early coverage from Channel 10? Mate, it's uh, it's positive. You know, um, the, the fact that it's on back on free to wear in the capacity it is is great for the game. So a- any reach that the game can get is great. Um, mate, I'm tuning in. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Bravo. Well done. Thank you very much. The uh, membership and ticketing manager at the Western Sydney Wanderers, when he's allowed out and about, he is quite something and he can make <laughs> some noise too. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. Spreading the, spreading the word about the Wander Pass. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. What a busy episode of State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Josh Parrish, George Danikian, our first guest, of course, was uh, Alex Dajic. And uh, exciting news for him. He's taking the family and heading over to the west coast of the United States to set up camp. He's just become the head coach of the uh, women's team for the Philippines. So the national women's coach. And he's looking forward to kicking some goals with that side. And I think he has some unresolved issues that he needs to address. And this might be a terrific way to get them done. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, what an achievement it would be to take that team to a World Cup. I mean, they're already going to the Asian Cup. As we know, it's hard to qualify for an Asian team for the World Cup and... Um, Matilda's already ha- have the pleasure, of course, as a as a home nation. So there'll be a couple extra spots uh, for a, for an Asian country, maybe a hitherto uh, unrepresented Asian country to to get to Australia and New Zealand in 2023. So I mean, he's proven he can do a lot with meager resources at Central Coast Mariners, and he's saying that the FA at the Philippines are serious and they really want to back this program, and that's what's enticed him to the job. So it's yep. very promising. No, I, 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 I agree. That was exactly it. The bait that they used mm-hmm. was the, the, of the sufficient stuff that, that gets him excited. He knows that they mean it and he's prepared to invest in it. And that's, that's all you can ask for of, of any coach or any manager or any CEO. Well, this is the country and, and the association that famously employed Sven Jorin Eriksson at the last Asian Cup. So they have had a track record of trying to lure big name coaches um, to, to the country. So Alan Stajic in the women's game is, is a pretty big name, especially. Listen, uh, whether it's Stajic or whether it's Ange Postacoglu, every time they do something meaningful uh, uh, across the world, mm-hmm. outside the borders of Australia, that's good for the game and also for every other coach who you know, wants to put their hand up and say, I can do the job. And, and that's seriously exciting. And speaking of Ange, he's going from uh, win and win and win. He's what's it, four on the trot now? Yeah, he's uh, continually proving the doubters wrong. And then you know, they went on a little, little blip and uh, the question started getting asked. Uh, Ange, do you need to modify your style of play? Ange, can we expect a bit of pragmatism from you, given the injuries, given this, given that? And he he looked at them with a wry smile and said, "You know, this is what I believe in, mate. If you're a if you're a committed vegan, you don't pop into Maccas because you're hungry." Fantastic quote. <laughs> what fantastic a line! Quote. Oh yeah, uh, but Ange has always had that in him. Yeah, he's he. he uh, I saw him time and time again when he was part of the um, uh, Offsiders crew on the ABC every Sunday morning. There'd be some wonderful quip that uh, you know we that would resonate and we'd be using for the next few weeks, which is just terrific. And we wish him continued success. By the way, speaking of coaches having some success, 
there's one guy that uh, must be feeling pretty low. And we're talking about a former legend of Barcelona, mm-hmm. uh, a Dutchman who um, would have expected to have received the treatment he's received this year, one from the fans and two from the management. You see, he's been sacked. Yeah, Ronald Koeman finally out the door. I think this was in the offing for quite some yep. time. It was just a question of whether Barcelona actually had the money to pay him out. Uh, he was quite clearly a stopgap sort of solution uh, for the, the last presidential regime, and he wasn't the man uh, that the the returning president after the elections uh, really had faith in. It was surprising that he's he's actually lasted this long. So the... The favourite to take over is he's another former Barcelona legend in in Xavi, but I I do wonder whether it's been slightly too long since Ronald Koeman was was strutting his stuff for the the new generation of Kules to treat him with the same respect that a former legend would usually get. Whereas Xavi is part of that next generation that is still so young and still uh, so uh, loved and remembered from all those trophies that he won with Messi and Iniesta and Puyol and so forth. Uh, I think he will be given more time because, you know, the the memories are, are more recent, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kerman, he and the assistant coach uh, really end up in a bit of a scuffle with some really angry fans in the car yeah. park after the game. And that that's the sort of images uh, that no team, no club, uh, no league wants to see. No. And uh, I suppose uh, it wasn't just then, but that would not have helped the management uh, thinking to themselves, well, we've got fans that angry. Maybe it's time to cut our losses and get him out the door. El pronto. Um, yeah, but he, it, it he didn't deal easy. with the media well either. I didn't feel Kerman. He he had a lot of blow ups and bust ups with journos. How many Dutchmen do you know that can? And I say <laughs> that in the nicest possible way. That's true. That's they're, true. They're very straight. They they know their stuff, and they don't brook an argument that, no. that readily. Um, yes, they can smile, they can do all that sort of stuff, but they mean business more often than not. So for me, look, every Dutchman I've seen, even even uh, the uh, Rud Hullet and others, and he was a charmer, absolute mm-hmm. charmer. Even he, though, when he got short and angry and and um, possessed by that, that, that weird mob of, that can be like a shark pack, the media, um, he, he also didn't enjoy it either. So it is tough when when the media and others come calling. It's as if it's preordained. We've made up our minds. You've got to go, or else. You know, it seems yeah. to me that's the way. Am I saying it? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, I think I... I think that's absolutely true. Uh, there's a certain cultural uh, directness that the yeah. Dutch have that maybe doesn't play as well in Spain as it does back home. Yeah, um, and the Dutch, you know, by the way, starting to play some terrific football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exciting times. Uh, By the way, speaking of uh, terrific football, what have you made of what happened at Old Trafford last weekend? Yeah, uh, I think uh, the propaganda that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been spinning in press conferences about Sir Alex Ferguson this and the United way that has started to go to his head. Uh, And he made a very impulsive choice to play a system... uh, against a side that was far superior to his uh, that was not reflected in reality. He started to believe his own nonsense, I think. Uh, the uh, the idea that 
in this day and age against a Klopp Liverpool team, Manchester United could play 4-2-4 with four forwards who aren't defending and get away with it is pure fantasy. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been sent crashing back to earth. You know, the fact that he didn't play uh, one of the finest midfielders in world football, Mm. uh, Pogba, from the beginning, also sent another sort of... um, a ripple through the crowd and you and, and and they were thinking to themselves what's going on now early on it looked like for one fleeting moment that Bruno Fernandes would would be on the end of an exciting goal inside the first three minutes but from that moment on and one other pass I think that broke through and I think Ronaldo almost was one-on-one with the keeper and the keeper did brilliantly um had those gone in had they gone in yeah, it may have been different but my goodness, from that moment on, Liverpool just went into this, this oozy, hazy days and they were flicking the ball left, right and centre as if they were in practice. Yeah. Uh, you, you've, said, you've said it time and time again. You, you, watch, you watch a training gig and we'll try these moves to see if they come off. Every move they tried just about came off. And if it yeah. didn't, it bounced straight back to them. And it, it doesn't help that one of the leading uh, you know, forwards in the world, a guy like Mo Salah, at the moment, seems like he can't miss. I mean... He's in rare air. That's he, a, whoa. he was has incredible. He more, has he ever been more confident? Um, I think in his first season when he arrived, he scored a ridiculous number of goals and the ball just That's kept true. going in for him. Yeah. He scored over 40. But he's, he's hit that form again and maybe then some as a creator as well as a scorer. Uh, but I think part of the reason that they looked so good was because United were so disjointed and didn't have yeah. a coherent game plan. I mean, I just want to read you a little passage here, George, from yeah, The Athletic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and of course, this is, scathing. this is, uh, you know, Monday, Monday quarterbacking. But yeah. sources yeah. have reported confusion over the style as a contributing factor to the defeat. Solskjaer is said to have given an instruction to press high on Liverpool, but players were confused by the exact coordination. In training, United do not train much pressing, with an explanation being that the strategy under Solskjaer is for the man nearest the ball to close down the opponent in possession as the team track back and get into shape. Additionally, one source said that United do not play many small-sided games at Carrington and raised the idea that Maguire, in particular, might benefit from such drills to improve his feet in tight situations. (laughs) Uh, look, it's hilarious. The, the, look, I heard a, a French international who who was playing for, uh, I think it was Le Berth, who was playing for Chelsea at one stage, and he described watching Manchester United and Liverpool the other day at Old Trafford as as two teams, no midfield, and the ball would go from one end straight to the other end in next to no time. No mm. defence can hold no. them out. There was no midfield to speak of to try and boss or dominate or obstruct. And for me, no. Um, Jota, um, that that is some sort of mix. And Mm. they're all in top form. So, wow. Uh, But again, when someone runs a stat like this past you, the biggest score in 100 years and the first time that someone has scored a hat-trick at Old Trafford, an away player, that is. Wow. That's not bad, is it, eh? No, now, I mean, well, I, I have some friends of mine who are still in that delusional land called dreaming Liverpool victories. Yeah. And, and they haven't stopped wanting to taunt anything in red <laughs> from Manchester. It's just crazy stuff.
Just crazy. Yeah. They are, I, I think uh, Liverpool, though, I will caution, I think they are in for a tough uh, start of next year because they have several players who are due for African Cup of Nations duty, yes, which is what we always true. forget, this tournament that happens during the season. And, of course, it'll be Mo Salah, but also Sadio Mane and Naby Keita all leaving for a, at least a month, uh, which... I'm not sure Liverpool have the same kind of depth as the other top teams. So while they're flying now, I think they will be pegged back a touch and it's how they deal with that. Um, And, you know, obviously there'll be quarantining coming back as well from some of these countries. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can build up a bit of a lead or uh, get themselves in a good enough position now so that that month doesn't affect them quite so badly. Uh, Speaking of... um um, how they uh, cope and how uh, and how the pressure um, starts to to surround them. Mm-hmm. Um, back home in the A League, we saw uh, a young man out of uh, Adelaide, Adelaide United, one of their young stars, Josh Cavallo. Um, he took the time, and he was very brave. He spoke to everyone. First of all, he spoke to his teammates and his club coach, Carl Viet, who we spoke to last week on uh, State of Our Football Nation, and uh, along with Ross Aloisian, they they showcased uh, in a number of interviews over the last few days what a terrific young man he is and how excited they are for him because it seems from their perspective, this weight, it seemed like the weight of the mm-hmm. world was on his shoulders. You might like to pick up that story and run with it. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of it? I mean, a huge uh, milestone for the game, I think, to have a professional top-flight footballer, and this is the first across the world in that category, a current professional top-flight footballer to come out as gay. Uh, It's something that has been stigmatized for many decades uh, in society, but as well as our sport, and you only have to look at the example of Justin Fashionu to see how somebody in that position was treated and ostracized. I just... I, I think the that society has come a long way since those days, but still uh, Josh Carvalho felt for six years of his career that he had to pretend to be someone else and hide who he really was. And he doesn't feel that way anymore, and I think that's testament to the, the environment that Adelaide United has created and how he's developed as a player and as a person, uh, that he feels the time is right, that he can come out and set an example to other young people in his position that might be struggling with that. I think, honestly, his announcement and the publicity around it and the widespread acceptance of him being himself will or could, honestly, save lives. So, I mean, Josh Cavallo is a marvellous young man and I'm, I'm so pleased that he's felt confident enough to do this and it seems, based on the reaction... Uh, from the footballing world and also uh, based on what I've heard about his mood since this all came about, that, it, as he said, a weight, an anchor has been lifted off his shoulders. You know, uh, I read a piece by Bruce Gitte. I, I read a piece by, uh, by Ross Aloisi. And, of course, we heard Carl Viet speak. Uh, it tells you a lot about that club and why they're, mm. they're starting to create a magnificent nursery of young talent. And I don't think there's any great surprise why we're seeing so many smart youngsters come through that that pathway. And to think that your coaches have got your back, yeah, your teammates Mm. have got your back, that's pretty exciting stuff. And as you touched on, as you alluded to, um, that smile and that that, uh, exhale from from Josh Cavallo after 
this statement. And you're right, the, the marketplace has really embraced him. And uh, long may it continue, male or female, whoever it may be, uh, if they want to put their hand up, then I, I trust that uh, the world will be a much better place and certainly our football world because there's nothing more exciting than watching talented footballers of any persuasion showcase their talent playing with no tension, yeah. no stress. And you and I have discussed this again. Tension is one of the greatest killers of anything. You imagine you can't dance, you, you can't perform. If you're that stressed or that tense, uh, whatever you want to do, even on air, if you've got the sort of Damocles hanging over your shoulder, you can't be, you know, um, that fluid, that that um, spontaneous person. Mm. But to see him like this now, we wish him well. And it's a big game coming up. Um, he's already played a couple of good games in the uh, FFA Cup, and of course, I think they've made now the 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 final round of sixteen. Yeah, I think they're in the quarterfinals now because their their schedule is ahead of uh, the rest of the comp with all the delayed fixtures. So they're into the quarterfinals, gonna, and I, I Adelaide say, have just it, such a storied history in the FFA Cup. They seem every year they want to win it, and you know they're on their way again. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Speaking of winning, what did you make of the young Ollie Roos or the yeah. under twenty threes? Uh, excited by uh, a few of those players in particular. Um, Italiano. Yeah, for the first time, a lot of them have played together. And, you know, I never would have guessed, honestly, a couple of years ago when I saw Adisu Bayou coming off the bench for Green Gully in MPL Victoria, that he would be donning an Australian representative jersey and strutting his stuff. I think that's that's a great story of a meteoric rise. Well, since you've started calling uh, over the last two or three years, three years, is it four years? We've started no, no, no. It's just, uh, I think, games. Uh, it's just two years, George, but it feels years, like longer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, since you started calling games in the last couple of years, you're, you've said to me there's so much talent mm-hmm. on show, week in, week out, and you've been surprised time and time again. And some of them, are, 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 you know, young Japanese players here, uh, testing themselves, finding their feet, and then going back and playing in their in their country, terrific opportunity. And it tells you that we need the second division, the A League Two, up and running. I think ASAP, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Because there there are a few who who managed to to get noticed and and make it, so to speak. Uh, but there are so many who are caught in that little trap between senior professional football. Uh, and the MPL stuff, and it's just not an adequate level in between. And imagine how uh, how many more players would be able to give high quality minutes to if we had that kind of competition. Imagine how much better and more interesting the FFA Cup would be if you had players training closer to full time and pl- and the best, essentially the best MPL players playing against each other across Australia each week. Uh, it would make a huge difference, I think. I'll tell you something else that's uh, also uh, racked up a few uh, bits of uh, kudos over the last uh, few weeks. Um, the performances of our Australian referees in the Premier League, namely yeah. Jared Gillett. He was uh, looking after the Carabao Cup contest between Leicester and Brighton. Did a pretty good job. They went to penalties, didn't miss a beat. So it's not just our coaches, not just our players but even our referees. And I, and I like the fact mm-hmm. that Jared has had the opportunity to um, uh, trial v- VAR before the English, and it shows yeah. in, in his ease. Uh, he runs straight to the sideline, checks the monitor, makes a decision and runs straight back. None of this prevaricating. Do, and, 
oh, will I do it or won't I do it? How dare I do it? Do you remember the sort of behind-the-scenes clip that was shared uh, after yes. Jared Gillett's last game in the country yes. before he, his raved, big move? People raved about it. I think that's done a lot for his uh, kind of uh, reputation. I mean, yeah. obviously, he already had the uh, the, ga- the position in England. Uh, I think it was in Group 2 at that point. Now he's been moved up. Uh, but I think that's done a lot for his kind of reputation in the game because you, you got that first-hand look at how he deals with players and how it's so uh, so natural and he lets the game flow. And, yeah, he's setting a, a great example uh, for Australian officials abroad. So it's, uh, it, it's really good to see Australians uh, making their name and, and fl- forging their careers overseas because, as Alan Stadjic said about the, the idea of being able to beat Brazil, it's hugely important for our, uh, our national mentality and uh, getting rid of that sort of inferiority complex we seem to have in football. Yeah, the we have it. We have it in our lives. It's mm. it's a cultural cringe. We yep. have it in entertainment. We have it in business. It seems that uh, the someone from overseas is a better CEO than the CEO, the the, uh, the young man or woman here. Uh, that's crazy stuff. That yeah. they can be brilliantly talented, but not all of them. So, and we mustn't be afraid to support those that we believe have the talent. Give them the opportunity. And we've seen it so often this year and last year, especially last year when so many youngsters put their hand up and uh, uh, you got very excited when Marco Tilio just kept getting picked in the Melbourne City squad every yeah. week. Now, by the way, speaking about that, uh, Leckie's in the squad, right? Yeah. McLaren's in the squad. No, no, these are all additions now. Um, does Tilio play every week? Yeah, well, when those guys are on international duty, he's a natural fit. But I, I wonder whether there's a way to accommodate him in a more central position, whether in the absence of Adrian Luna this season, yeah, good point. Good whether point. he could be deployed in a number 10 role, and then you could have the artistry and intricacy of Tilio behind McLaren, Leckie, Naboo. And if you could make that work defensively as well, uh, because it, you know, maybe it's approaching a Solskjaer four two four at that that point, but now, it, it, now, it it looks sounds good on paper to me. Anyway, I was going to say what you just touched on. Remember that goal he scored at the Olympics? Yeah, the one Where against Argentina. He? he was central, top of the box. It? Yeah, top of the box. So you might you might it might be the commentator in you, but you've picked it. Well done, my friend. Well done. <laughs> Almost another week of the state of our football nation is over. Um, If you want to know more, uh, please join us. Uh, Again, available on Spotify, on Twitch. Who else have you got it on? Uh, We've got it on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, You can catch it on the website, indeed, footballnationradio.com. Terrific stuff. Catch you next week. Josh, thanks very much for your support. Thanks, George. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.